Margin Call is the podcast that gives you behind-the-scenes access to the ups and downs of working in the Forex CFD industry. We interview the people that keep the show on the road, giving you insight into what makes the industry tick. The series is guest-hosted by myself, Jordan Michaelides, and produced by the team at Neural Media. To learn more, visit gomarkets.com.au slash podcast. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S dot com dot A-U slash podcast. Or take a look at the Go Market suite of products at gomarkets.com.au. Go Markets is a derivatives broker and Jordan Michaelides is the managing director of Neural Media. All opinions expressed by Jordan and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Go Markets, an AFSL license holder. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for financial decisions nor as an indication of future performance. Clients of Go Markets may hold positions in the derivatives mentioned. A financial services guide and product disclosure statement for our products are available at gomarkets.com.au. In this episode, we spoke with Quinn Perrett. Quinn is the co-founder and general manager of Traction Fintech, a regulatory technology business. Quinn has been a long-time operator in the retail forex space, whether it's running leading businesses like City Index and AxiTrader, or just deciding to create a business in this niche space of reg tech or regulatory technology. What I like about Quinn is his fair assessment of where the industry is placed and where it needs to go to improve the experience of the consumer. He has a unique perspective as a long-time operator with his knowledge helping average traders to understand the market and industry participants to better understand their business. This chat with Quinn was a great insight into what key elements defining the reg tech business as we call it and what he learned as a former operator in Forex. We covered numerous topics, including living in Cyprus, his path to Forex, starting traction fintech, reporting products and jurisdictions, what he misses about the FX or CFD business, what he does, new regulation from the GFC, and how blockchain technology can impact reporting. If you enjoyed this episode, do subscribe on your podcast app and consider sharing with one of your friends who is fascinated by this niche little area. But with all that being said, let's get into this episode with Quinn Perrett. Thanks for joining us, mate. On this, uh, I think it's a nice, it's a pretty nice day there in Sydney, isn't it? About 25. Yeah, it's lovely and sunny for a change. It's, um, I, as I was saying to Sophie before, it, it was an overnight low of 25 in Melbourne. And uh, it is currently absolutely roasting. I think it's about 32, about to get up to 38 in the next hour or so. So nice stinker in this uh, hot box that is the sound room at our home <laughs> studio. Um, so you live in Cyprus. Yes. Is that true? That's yeah. Yep. How long ago did you move there? Um, I moved there in June last year, shortly after the um, infamous IFX uh, Cyprus Expo. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, because my family's from Cyprus, and so I'm curious, what part do you live uh, in the country? I live in Forex Town, which is uh, Limassol. So, Forex Town, yeah. yeah. It's probably uh, close to 100 
financial firms there and probably you know, a good 60 operational forex brokers. So, um, you know, you drive down the main street or the highway there and all the large buildings and signs are all uh, forex and CFD brokers, which is <laughs> quite amazing. And a lot of cryptocurrency providers now as well, aren't there? Yeah, um, mostly mostly in Cyprus we see it as a tack on to an existing CFD or forex business. Right. Uh, from memory, SISEC has sort of allowed, even though they don't regulate uh, cryptocurrencies so much, they've said that uh, Forex or CFD brokers can do CFDs on cryptocurrency as long as it doesn't comprise more than, it might be more than 75% of their revenue. Um, So the big sort of crypto-only focused companies generally go up up to the left to Malta, which has been much more accommodating to to cryptocurrency. Yeah. And now why would you, why base yourself in Cyprus and not like London or Sydney? So um, it was a method too, really. I uh, uprooted my wife and my four children and moved there. Um, we, we'd already established our office in the UK um, mm-hmm. to do trade reporting there under the EMEA regulation, which has been going for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. And then Method 2 was a, a good opportunity to sort of um, really put our stake in the ground. And, you know, we, we weren't going to be successful if we did it half, half So moving to London was the logical choice. Um, yeah. That was not very appetizing to me at all. So we went to Cyprus and I'm like, hold on, half of our potential clients are here. It's a lovely climate, nice food, ocean, easy to get around. We're moving here. And uh, literally, you know, decided, had a look at a house next week, flew back home, loaded up the kids and the wife and, and we moved in. Wow. And so your kids, because... You know, Cyprus is 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 funny because they've got a lot of international schools. So, do they go to a Greek school or do they go to like an international English school? They go to um, Heritage, which is a, the sort of main international um, school in Limassol. Okay. Um, with uh, lots of Russian and Israeli kids. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm planning to to head over there. I've got a, my my wedding coming up in the next year and a bit, so plan to head back to head to Cyprus um, stop by there as part of the honeymoon I guess so it's it's a lovely place it, like you said I'm you know good food beaches sometimes down when tourists aren't there in winter I, I, I wonder whether the internet's good there now though yeah <laughs> because- yeah look it's not great but it's certainly reliable <laughs> and, it, and it works um, yeah. I mean I work from uh, I work from home in Cyprus got a little office set up um, my phone system everything goes through the internet um, and it's it's never a problem mm. uh, so I think we've had one internet outage the whole time I've, I've been there and that was quite short um, yeah. it's expensive and the speeds aren't ultra high but yeah it's plenty good enough for for anything you'd, you'd want to do so um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not a problem now you spend your formative years growing up in Australia. Are you native to Sydney, Melbourne? Where did, where did you grow up? I was, I was actually born in in Christchurch, New Zealand. Ah. And I moved to Sydney in two thousand. 
So yeah, I think it was 20, 22 or 23. Um, and so I had all my kids here and got you know, into business here and sort of grew up as, as an adult, but as a kid and a teenager, I was, I was in New Zealand. There you um, go. Well, I can I can sort of hear the, yeah. the Kiwi accent a little bit now. <laughs> they were quite nice. <laughs> and uh, what's sort of the earliest memory of growing up in Christchurch? Well, actually, um, it, it wasn't in Christchurch. It was on the Coromandel Peninsula. And being the 70s, my parents were living on a hippie commune at the time. <laughs> we had a long drop toilet and I fell in. I was literally wow. up to my neck and Oh, my God. And my father had to pull me out by the head and throw me in the river. How long did it take for the smell to go away? I don't recall that, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I think it was four at the time, and that's, that's my earliest memory. Oh, my God. So you, you fell away in. Yeah, wow. slipped, slipped through the seat and then fell into the, the bucket. The bucket, wow. That is amazing. Do they still give you for that, no pun intended. Uh, yeah, family reunions, un- uncles normally. <laughs> well, mm. Now, if you think about your childhood growing up in the hippie commune, is there a particular lesson that you've learned from either of your parents that you hold with you today at all? Yeah, look, um, I think one that I'm always grateful for and apply in my, in my life is always find the good in everyone. Um, and especially my mother had a fantastic ability to get on with people from all different walks of life and relate to them. And I've found that in my personal life and also in my business, you know, we deal with some pretty interesting, perhaps arrogant and perhaps sometimes difficult characters in the financial markets. And I'm able to segment some of those bad parts and, and find the good in them and actually maintain some quite good rewarding friendships and relationships with people that um, others can find quite difficult and uh, I certainly owe that to my mother. Yeah, I could see how that would be a unique trait, being that cool, calm, collected individual amongst um, everyone else. I try. (laughs) Worry. Now, you you worked as an IT manager at City Index. Uh, You worked in the IT field at uh, Action Solutions as an MD and you also co-founded AxiTrader, which I had no idea. Um, before doing a bit of digging. Um, and obviously, you, you've now found traction in 2015. Uh, it just got me curious as to how you fell into this space. Like from, from my own personal experience, I, I literally fell into the, the industry of uh, FX, CFDs, cryptocurrency by getting just my first job. It was just the, the only job that was given to me. So, how did you fall into this era? Yeah, look, I always find that's a great question for everyone in, in Forex and everyone sort of has different versions of the same answer, which is by accident. Yeah, I don't think anyone goes to university, I want to be a Forex trader, I need to study this and, and then I can do it. So yeah. with, with me, I, um, I had my own IT consultancy and one of my clients um, had landed the role as um, – as CEO of, uh, of City Index Australia, which is actually called Green CFD at the time. Mm. And they needed some help with their IT. I'd known nothing about financial markets. I came in, saw that no one there really had a clue about IT and, and started consulting to them. Um, then moved to a, a full-time basis there. And really where the financial markets came, uh, a big part of what I was doing, not just IT, is um, – the old head of sales there absolutely hated doing public speaking. And this was back pre-GFC, sort of before the internet was the main 
um, main way of attracting clients. And we had the trading and investing expos, right? We used to have a, a large stand there and clients would literally queue up to, to sign paper-based forms once they heard that, oh, my God, you can trade shares on leverage, like <laughs> buying houses on leverage, great, sign me up. And so our, um, our head of sales who was you know, an experienced FX trader hated public speaking. And he pulled out one day and uh, I think our marketing manager said, well, who's going to volunteer to take his spot? And I stuck my hand up. Having had my own IT business, I'd done pitches before, I'd done a bit of public speaking. So I took the old head of sales uh, talk about how he'd you know, been head of this bank and that and so on and just sort of put my own experience in and you know, how I'd come in as, as a um, trading myself on CFDs. And yeah, from that time on, I was being the, the face of City Index at, at the expos and, and getting wow. up on stage and doing a talk. And that sort of led me out of the IT and more into the rest of the business. Yeah. And then uh, the previous MD there went in and started um, Access Forex uh, and brought me in to, to start and run the derivatives part, um, which is wow. CFDs and, and MT4 offering and uh, bought a stake in the company and uh, was there until um, until I got sick of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I left and took a bit of a break and then uh, new regulations came in. Sophie called me up one day out of the blue and, uh, yeah, we, we saw a market space for traction me having experience in IT and financial markets, you know, from the inside GM role at Axie Trader, and her, you know, vast experience with legal and compliance, it was just a perfect fit for us. We also yeah. knew all the brokers in Australia, you know, a lot of them were our friends. It started out pretty small, the industry had grown, we sort of kept tabs on everyone, so it was really meant to be. Wow. And so it was literally Sophie called you up and said, hey, I've got this idea. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. So the funny story is, uh, so I was, I was actually living in Vietnam at the time, having a, <laughs> having a semi-retirement. She rings me up. She goes, Quinn, can you help me? There's this new regulation coming in. Basically just need to create a really big spreadsheet. <laughs> and, yeah, and we, we met up and I'm like, look, I'll do more than just help you. I want to be partners in this thing. She's like, sure. And, uh, yeah, we did it. It was um, what do you, early 2015. What do you, what do you miss then about uh, running sort of FX CFD businesses, if at all? Yeah, so the excitement, you know, um, it can be a little bit like Wolf of Wall Street sometimes. <laughs> See exciting characters and some days you make masses of money and, you know, it's like riding a roller coaster with the markets. Um, yeah, it's never boring at all. People are crazy but they're exciting and, you know, everyone sort of at, at the top of the game especially at a good brokerage firm when you're growing well and, and making good money. So, yeah, I miss that sort of pure adrenaline excitement. Yeah, I can imagine that. It is pretty wild when you're in it, in the thick of it. It got me wondering when you are speaking before about traction and the business and what it is and how do you explain what you guys do to someone when like if you sit down on a plane because you'd be flying quite a bit i do how do you how do you sort of explain it to someone the person who keeps digging on what you actually do yeah well look i'll, I'll explain to them that yeah if you trade shares through an exchange obviously the government and the regulator can look into that exchange and, and see what happens 
not all financial products are traded on an exchange. Some are traded OTC. So it's just a deal done between the broker and the client. And naturally, the government doesn't have an easy way to see those transactions, monitor them or look into them on a daily basis. So that's where we come in and where trade repositories come in, is those OTC trades that don't go through an exchange. We get records of them every day and hold them in a database that the government can can look at. Okay. And it's just as simple as that. It was this new regulation that required you to hold this database of trades, essentially. And instead of them having to manually do it, you do it for them. Yeah. So, look, it all came out of the the GFC, so the um, evil credit default swaps uh, (laughs) that caused the financial system to almost collapse. And, And the reason was it was opaque. So no one knew uh, how much debt or how much of these bad assets they had on their balance sheet because it wasn't public. It was all OTC. So the the G20 got together in 2009 and said we have to have transparency over these OTC products Um, Hmm. and and trade repositories and OTC trade reporting was was the answer. There you go. Well, it's as simple as that. And so you you work with some pretty big players like... um Pepperstone and Go Markets. I think you, you offer reporting services now for four jurisdictions, if I'm right, Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Europe, UK. Well, that that'd be interesting to see whether that changes with Brexit coming up. And I think it's the f- you've got four main products, right? FX, CFDs, binary options, and commodities, as well as Israeli shekel derivatives as well. Have I missed anything there? Well, we sort of report for everything that, that's reportable. So especially with okay. MIFID II regulation, um, it's it's a much broader product set. So that, that's expanded us into sort of more traditional hedge funds and asset managers. Um, we have banks as clients in Europe. So our two main reporting jurisdictions are still Australia and Europe, but um, we have a presence in in Singapore, but the regulator is a little bit slow for hitting the CFD industry up for reporting, but it's coming very soon. And the same with Hong Kong. Um, we're yeah. also Canada, South Africa, and, and Korea are very close on our radar too. What about America? So the US does have a similar reporting, um, but it's under the Dodd-Frank Act. And it's very limited and very few transactions. So we've we've had a look at it, and it's just it's not really. Look, not worth there, it. there are much bigger opportunities in, in other countries for us. Yeah, yeah, I could I could understand that. It got me interested reading fairly deeply about trade reporting. I was reading all this stuff about price transparency and market pricing. What's your view on that? Like, does does this trade reporting process open up? better prices or market pricing because things are more open or do you find that it's largely, you know, status quo? Well, so there's different regulations have a different effect on that. So the the basic regulations in in Australia around OTC derivatives reporting and the equivalent in Europe, EMEA, are really about position and exposure and, you know, potentially exposure to the financial system as, as a whole. So it's not really looking yeah. at client outcomes. Having said that, the regulators use the data for more than what it was originally intended for. But with the new MIFID II uh, rules, there are some quite stringent um, rules around best execution, and specifically mm-hmm. that, you know, a broker has to take all necessary steps 
to give the client the best possible execution. So we actually have a product we've launched recently, um, the best execution monitor, where we take all the transactions that a broker's done, compare it against independent data from Reuters, and show them with a lot of graphs and pretty charts and so on, where the execution is set between the independent Reuters prices. So that they can, um, if they do find a client's been executed at, at a price that was sort of outside the normal market spread, they can then go and investigate and recti- rectify the causes. Yeah. I think for a lot of the, the retail uh, individuals out there, the, the element of Reuters m- may have gone over their head because Reuters is a key component of a lot of trading desks, particularly those who run like a squawk box or, you know, it depends on what market you're in. So, um that's that's quite intriguing to hear. Yeah. Also, um, Reuters keeps the regulators happy. <laughs> so yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, most brokers are priced off, you know, a huge mixture of liquidity from other brokers in the interbank market. Um, but Reuters is yeah a well-respected independent source that obviously ASIC and the FCA are going to be very comfortable with. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's why we use Reuters data. Also, yeah, they have fantastic um, data information, historical products. Yeah. So. Now, obviously, you don't seem like a guy who's sort of just focused on what you're doing right now. I can I can sort of see that, you know, your understanding of this business, the fact that you said to, to Sophie that you wanted to get in on the business tells me that you generally think about what's happening a few steps along the way. So, I'm curious as to where, where you sort of see the future of this business going. Is it, is it, opening up in more jurisdictions or is it other products? Where do you sort of see this outsource compliance in this space going? Yeah, so it's definitely opening up in more jurisdictions. So all of the members of the G20 have an obligation to implement trade reporting. Um, Some have been much more on the front foot than others, especially ones that have very active financial markets like the UK and and Australia and you know, the rest of Europe and, and the US. So yeah, other other G20 nations, for instance, South Africa, are just starting to get, get on board the trade reporting. In general, uh, I see MIFID II and some of the consumer protections in that and processes around protecting consumers becoming more widespread. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's a global market. When rules are, are set in all over Europe, generally it becomes best practice that other companies sort of have to follow those rules even if they're not obliged to but because that becomes the norm and the standard. Um, Mm. Generally with trade reporting, I think um, blockchain applications will will start to be applied to it. Um, I know there's been been some testing from a few people in this space. Obviously it's a big buzzword and everyone wants to jump on board it. we haven't done blockchain-based reporting yet, but I, I can see some application of that definitely coming in in, in the clearing and trade reporting space. Um, and also artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. Again, buzzwords, but I think on a, on a practical level, you know, there's so much data around transaction reporting that if the regulators or even us or the brokers reporting to us can start to use machine learning and artificial intelligence on that, the insights and patterns that they can see um, should yield some pretty good results. And on the blockchain element, because I sort of work in that space now, what's the discussion around reporting been about? Well, look, so 
a lot of people are involved in one particular report, right? So there, you know, there might be a, a bridge or an execution venue and there'll be two parties. And one of the problems that trade repositories have now is actually matching that data. So if one brokerage firm is, is hedging with their prime broker or, or their prime of prime or their liquidity provider, they're both obliged to report those transactions. And in theory, the trade repository should be able to match those two transactions off. But often they'll use a different transaction ID and they'll report the transaction slightly differently. Um, so hopefully, yeah, the, the blockchain, um, they can all sort of become members to sharing that similar information through the blockchain. Okay, right. So it's, it's more around that element as well. Okay, that's intriguing. Now, if you think back to your involvement in this space, I, I don't know whether you dub it as financial services or CFD and FX businesses, but I'm curious as to what's been the most interesting observation from your time in the industry. The amazing amounts of money that can be made quite quickly in the industry if you do things right. Sure. So I remember when when I first came into City Index, having yeah, at, at the time running my own IT company, you worked pretty hard and you did things really well, and you know you hoped to sort of just make a small profit. And to tell you the truth, I saw a business run quite sloppy that was doing incredibly well because mm. <laughs> they were in, in a great <laughs> market space. You know, and yeah. um, I'm sure we all know people who are sort of a couple of young guys have started up, you know, with a small amount of money and, and multi-millionaires a couple of years later. So it does have massive opportunity if people do it right and they have a bit of luck. Also, just the people, like I've met the most amazing but also crazy people in this industry that I'd never forget. <laughs> um, we've spoken a lot. And I think I mentioned this to Sophie as well. Technology has sort of been the biggest element of change that a lot of people have noticed in the industry. I'm curious, just from your perspective, what has been the greatest changes that you've observed and what hasn't changed? Yeah, so I might actually answer that question in, in reverse. Um, interestingly, what hasn't changed, people still trade the same products on the same platform. So, you know, 10 years ago was probably when, when MetaTrader sort of started to get become common and, and get some market dominance. Um, I think there was just Go Markets and AxiTrader with the local uh, MT4 brokers at the time. You know, now, now there's 50, but the platforms still work the same. The products people trade, it's still FX, indices, um, you know, a bit of gold, silver, um, oil. So that's what hasn't changed. What has changed is the ecosystem around it. So the sign-up process is, is automated. The KYC and AML is, is automated. Um, you know, people get sort of great tack-on back-end systems. You know, they can, they can automatically fund, they can automatically withdraw. So, yeah, the, the rest of the system has become a lot more automated, a lot quicker, a lot more technology products have stayed the same. Mm. Yeah, I think you've really condensed so well what a lot of people have said in different ways is that the industry by and large, people will do the same or trade the same things, but the way that it's delivered, that element of customer service, you know, automation has picked up dramatically. Um, you know, I think even the days of when I was working at CFD providers of you know, balancing your exposure on an Excel spreadsheet template that you've created 
it, you know, those days are long gone and now it's basically automatic through some piece of software or, um, you know, some sort of dashboard that you've built internally that, that monitors that on a, on a second by second basis. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been super fascinating to observe that it, now as an outsider. Sure. And I mean, one of the major things that changed the industry was, um, automated trading system or, or EA and MetaTrader called Million Dollar Pips. Yeah. And, yeah, before that, a lot of brokers didn't have any STP system. So execution was done automatically if you did small size or you weren't on a watch list. Anything over that, it came up on the screen and a dealer sat there and went, oh, yeah, okay, approve, or they'd hedge it and approve it first. And then, you know, with robots doing lots of little trades, that model just fell to bits. And then, you know, we moved to automated execution through um, through bridges and, and through STP systems. And that was a major change, I guess, to client execution and the way things run within a firm and the reliance not so much on the dealer but on the technology for driving the, the profitability of the firm. Yeah. I, I remember a million dollar pips. That's so funny that you mentioned that. Um, there was all. I remember when when I started in the industry, it, it was all the rage to have like some automated bot of some kind, and how you you get people to call up and like, oh yeah, I'm with this bot company and I'm paying them X amount a month, and yeah, those were the days. It was super fascinating to observe that. Now I'm realizing, and I'm just looking at the time. We're ne- nearly crack on, n- nearly dead on uh, thirty minutes. So I feel like I've got to jump in and ask you some short, fast questions to finish this off. Far away. Yeah. So what uh, what does your morning routine look like? So I get up pretty early, uh, based in Cyprus. Um, I like to... What time? Uh, so I'll get up at um, 5.30, 5.45, uh, help get the kids off to school and then be at my desk before 7 so I can still catch a few hours of the Australian shift. Mm-hmm. And what about for decompressing at night? Uh, I like to read a book or sometimes just Netflix and chill. (laughs) And if you were to select one book to give to the audience for Christmas, uh, what would it be and why? Uh, I would have to say Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. It is a very old sort of semi-autobiographical book written about a trader in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and almost all of it still rings true. They had literally bucket shops back then that, you know, where the term comes from. You put your money in the bucket. The um, little shop at the corner had a, had a um, Morse code feed from the exchange. They made a market on your stocks. The cornering the market, the, the stock exchange, the characters, they really haven't changed that much in over 100 years. <laughs> That's very intriguing. I'm going to have to look that one up. Make sure we we all also reference that in the uh, the show notes as well. Um, best purchase under two hundred dollars. Best purchase under two hundred dollars. Probably my Amazon Echo. Okay. Why do you love that so much? Oh, it's like a cheapest friend you can have. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 yeah. great for. When you're sort of just thinking, like, what's the population of that country or, you know, the questions like that, it's easier to verbally ask them than to sit there and Google it and it's kind of fun. Yeah. I will, Look, we have a, a view internally here at uh, Neural Media that voice is sort of the next platform 
for computing that things are sort of going in that direction in, in various different ways. And I think, uh, yeah, that fact just highlights it. You know, the, it's so much easier to talk to something than it is to text type. So that's that's very interesting to hear. Um, last question for you. What seems obvious to you but not to others? That clients aren't really good traders or bad traders. Okay. That it's just as hard to lose money as make money. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that before. That's interesting. Well, look, Quinn, thank you so much for this. We've just just gone over 30 minutes. Uh, this was a very interesting chat. I think what you guys are doing is super fascinating as well. You know, people should listen back to Sophie's episode as well because I think this whole area of compliance, legal is just intriguing if you're the conscientious type like me and like learning about all these forms of regulations and, and what sort of keeps everything running. So, look, thank you so much for doing this, for pleasure. both of you for doing this. Um, where's the best way to find you on the internet? Find traction, find yourself. Just Google Traction FinTech or trade reporting and, and you'll find us. Um, find us on YouTube, find us on LinkedIn, find us on Twitter, which is tractionfintech.com. And are you bigger on Twitter or LinkedIn? What's sort of your profile of preference? I'm more a LinkedIn person. Um, yeah. You know, we, we have staff who sort of manage our, our social media and, um, you know, we have schedules for it and Sophie and I write a lot of the content and have, have a bit of help. So there's, um, yeah, there's always updates there. Yeah. People, people love the content. Yeah. Well, look, uh, I'm getting a bit old though to manage the technology myself. <laughs> hey, you got an Amazon Echo, so you should be, you should be fine. Um, look, thank you so much again for doing this. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Okay. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Margin Call. Before you run off, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app to get first access to new episodes and consider sharing this with a friend who loves the Forex CFD game. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Go Markets. That's G-O-M-A-R-K-E-T-S. Until next time, thanks for listening.